Welcome to A Slice of Orange, a podcast on politics in North Orange County, California with me, Jody Balma, professor of political science at Fullerton College. And today we've got Josh Newman, who's running for the California State Senate, the 29th district, which covers North Orange County, plus a little bit of Los Angeles and San Bernardino. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. Hello, Jody. I really appreciate you spending some time with us and answering my questions. So this is sort of interesting because you were elected by the voters in the 39th district. You should be running for re-election um, after a four-year term, but instead uh, you are the challenger in this race because you were the target of a recall election. And for those who haven't followed, uh, I'll give a brief summary and you can correct me if I get any uh, facts wrong. Um, but you got the blame for the entire gas tax um, as if you were all powerful as a state senator mm. um, and nobody else voted for it. Um, the voters themselves had the chance to repeal Prop 6 in 2018 and didn't, uh, voted that the roads were important and we needed to, to pay for them. So it seems pretty clear and really it seemed pretty clear at the time, that you were targeted because your margin of victory was, how, how would you characterize your margin of victory? I, I think the term razor thin is an apt yeah. characterization. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it took weeks to count, right? Uh, and all three counties we were counting. Um, at, at that time, it, it was a very close uh, registration is somehow how we look at predictions. Um update to 2020 and the Democrats and you're part of the Democratic Party endorsed by the Democratic Party um, I think I've, I've seen you say lifelong Democrat uh, as some people ask um, there's a big advantage in party registration these days um, even in Los Angeles which is expected uh, but even in San Bernardino um, right and and North Orange County which is somewhat unexpected. So even though Senator Ling Ling Chang is an incumbent, um, you are definitely not the typical challenger. Uh, so let's go back to the 2016 race. Why do you think you won? So, um, Joey, as you mentioned, it was it was very close. And at that time, uh, or Orange County, but this area as well, was, was very even uh, by way of yeah. registration in terms of Democrats and Republicans. And then there's always the no party preference uh, core uh, of, of voters as well. Um, I ran, uh, people forget that when I ran in 2016, it, it, I ran in the primary initially, obviously. And so there were actually three candidates in the primary. Uh, and so in addition to uh, Ling Ling Chang, who is now uh, uh, in office as a result of the recall, uh, there was another Democrat and that Democrat uh, had uh, substantially more money and more support from the party. Uh, I ran you know, sort of as who I am, which is as a uh, kind of a centrist, concerned Democrat who who was convinced that at that time, as I still am, that we need better, more responsive representatives uh, at every level of government, but especially at the at the level of state government. So, so I ran a uh, you know a pretty straightforward campaign by way of my argument, which is I think people deserve better. Uh, and my background, I thought, uh, was well suited to that. So I'm a Army veteran, and I worked in. Uh, business in a bunch of different capacities for a number of years. And then I started a little uh, initiative to try and help young vets find work after they came home. And, and that's sort of what brought me to thinking about running in the first place, because I, I got so frustrated with, with elected officials always saying the right thing and then not doing much uh, by way of vets. But, but showing up for the photo op. 
always showed up to have their picture taken with with our young men and women in uniform or with the flag yeah. behind them. So, uh, and 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 the lesson I think I learned wasn't just that uh, politicians weren't doing right by veterans, uh, but it was profound, I think, which is, you know, our elected officials won't do the thing that we all agree, agree is that should yeah. you know, get better service, better that they're going to do the harder things uh, where there are competing constituencies or countervailing arguments. And so, you know, th- that's really what drove me to run. Uh, and so I actually surprised a lot of folks uh, as kind of the, the unknown uh, new arrival uh, in the top two primary in June of 2016. Uh, and that's what put me in a position to run uh, in the first place. And then as I ran uh, for election in that general in 2016, the partisan registration numbers were changing even as we did that. So it, it was probably uh, one point difference by way of a Republican advantage when I ran in the primary. And then by the time we got to the general, as you mentioned, it was it was about even. Uh, and so I had the you know sort of interesting, uh, almost out of body experience of as a first time candidate uh, of on election night uh, of the results being inconclusive. But I was down by almost four thousand votes when they stopped counting votes that evening, uh, that November evening in twenty sixteen. And then, as you mentioned, over the course of more than three weeks, you know, you kept counting different buckets of votes in the three different counties, right. uh, and little by little, my my. Uh, the margin went from being a deficit of about 4,000 to winning uh, by 2,600 votes or so, you know, which, which was less than 1% of the total votes cast, over 300,000 votes cast. Yeah. But it also got a lot of attention, uh, not just because it was such a close election, but because my election had the net consequence uh, of giving Democrats in the state legislature two-thirds majorities in both houses of mm-hmm. the legislature. And you got counted as that you know, senator that put them over the top because you were last. If you had been counted on election night, you might not have gotten that distinction. Yeah. And it's also, I think it's also true that because it was Orange County and because I was the first Democrat elected to a seat that had been occupied by Republicans for over three decades, right? Depending on where the lines were, you know, that was noteworthy. Um, But it, it, it was overlooked, I think, continually in that discussion about like, you know, here's the new guy. Uh, I wasn't a typical Democrat. And in fact, I wasn't right. even, you know, the party's choice to start with. But, you know, it was sort of characterized as, as a red versus blue kind of Absolutely. game of thrones kind of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Be- before the redistricting of, uh, of 20, um, 2011, I, you know, used to say these districts are so safe, I would bet my house that the Republican is going to win. I do not do that anymore. I, I, I don't bet Good. my house on <laughs> any of why these races. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, so you were then elected and, and went to the Senate and served until your recall. And you had many, 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 many votes besides the infamous gas tax. So what was it about serving in the state Senate that makes you want to return and go through all of this again? Well, I mean, as you mentioned, so many, many, we actually at one point, quantified how many votes I'd taken. So across different committees and on the Senate floor, I'd, you know, I'd taken well over a thousand votes. Uh, so sort of, you know, interesting and frustrating for me that that one vote was was used as the pretext for the recall. Uh, but to your question, you know, what's it like to serve uh, in the California legislature? It, it's, it's you know, it's a tremendous honor. Uh, it's, it's an amazing uh, privilege to be able to do that. So, so for me, um, you know, I'm, I'm, having served in the military, right, you know, after mm-hmm. college, uh, I was always impressed that that 
as an experience was truly rewarding for me. And, and most of it was because it, it was an opportunity to be part of something bigger uh, than oneself and to make a contribution that was uh, you know, really important. And, and I think serving in the legislature has a similar quality. Uh, and so I, I, I was you know, really honored by it, but I, I found it really rewarding. And, and so um, one of the things I'm most proud of them, despite the recall was for almost two years as the representative for this district, I represented every city uh, and the voters of both parties uh, as conscientiously and as objectively and as responsibly as I could. Uh, and I still get a lot of credit today from, you know, members of city councils in, in our area. There's 16 different cities in the, in the, in the district uh, who will say to a person uh, that I was a good and, and sort of uh, attentive representative for them and, and did good work on behalf of their city. And, and then I'd always, you know, I would I always, always ask them, depending on the campaign, like, you know, can I put you on record as being in support of me? And they'd say, no, no, I, I get in trouble right. <laughs> with, my, right. with my, my Republican friends. Don't do that. Right. Uh, so uh, I'm also, you know, despite, you know, the, the obvious kind of uh, less than pleasant experience of being a target of a recall, uh, really proud of some of the work I got done. So, you know, got somewhere on the order of 20 bills uh, passed either directly uh, or via incorporation in the state budget. Uh, and among the things I got done was I got additional support for veterans at community colleges to include Fullerton College, Fullerton College, yep, um, and for veteran resource centers to make sure that any vet coming home and going back to school had the assurance, irrespective of where they went to school uh, in the 114 college uh, community colleges in California, that there would be a baseline level of support and services that was appropriate to their service. Also, got money for the the uh, acquisition of uh, open space in West Coyote Hills. Uh, and was working toward uh, trying to preserve that whole property as open space. Uh, and then also got uh, a substantial amount of money for what has turned into a very successful four-year program uh, to get at the root causes of <clears throat> homelessness, youth violence, and, and post-incarceration reentry in North Orange County. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that, that I was doing and, and uh, you know, of which I'm very proud. Uh, but to your point, the thing that got the most attention uh, was my vote in April of 2017, uh, in support of SB1. Uh, and I was one of 81 members who cast that vote that day. Right. And, and so clearly you had no idea it was going to be so controversial to result in a recall. No, um, <laughs> but ta- taxes in Orange County are always, uh, you know, a hot button issue. Um, so what is it? I mean, you're one of the few who's had the experience of being recalled. Um, what is that like? <laughs> what's it what's it like to be yeah. recalled? Um so so the best way to kind of uh sort of get into this, I think, is is to give you kind of my frame of mind at the time. Uh and so on on April the sixth and, and by the way, there yeah. was a Republican who crossed over to vote for it. Oh, I, mean, I think I think I personally think that's relevant, but and I'll get to that in a like second. You got blamed for it. I, yeah, you know. yeah. So so you know, so so the vote. Uh, was was actually the first bill taken up on the Senate floor in, in April of 2017. And the way, you know, many of your listeners may know, the way the way that uh, the California legislature works is um, all the bills get submitted by a particular date, February 15th, give or take. Uh, and then they're all numbered uh, in terms of, you know, the chronology, you know, which bill gets submitted first. So SB1 was the first bill submitted uh, in that legislative cycle. Uh, and it was the end result of uh, about six years of work to try and get it a very serious problem, which was California's lack of investment in our transportation infrastructure over, right. over three decades. 
uh, a time where the, the original gas tax that had been passed, ironically, by Ronald Reagan and then uh, increased under the administration of George Duke Magian, both Republicans, um, the purchasing power of that tax had, had gotten uh, diluted by inflation, right? So we weren't keeping up uh, with raising the funds uh, to invest in California's roads and bridges. And there's a whole lot of other things that you need to do in California. So it's really hard to find those monies if you also have a bunch of other obligations, including constitutional formulas that say, for instance, that you know Prop 98, that of every dollar that the government raises, fully 40% has to be spent on education. So the question became, how do we raise money uh, to start uh, making a dent on this you know, massive underinvestment of something like $150 billion uh, that had not been done? And the results were very clear, right? You've got roads and bridges that are crumbling. You had a bridge uh, at the time, I mean, I'm sorry, a dam in Oroville uh, that came within an hour during the rainy season of, of collapsing. Uh, and that was a good, you know, good example of, of why we needed to do it. Um, and so and I was, a bridge that fell down. And a bridge that fell down in, in, in near, near Monterey, in Monterey County, where, where a bridge washed out. Uh, and as a result, um, it wasn't repaired. It had to be replaced for over six months. So people who lived in that area had to travel well over an hour to go eight miles, right? So that's right. not something that we ever thought that we'd see in California, right? People yeah. take for granted uh, that American infrastructure is up to some level in the California infrastructure. And in fact, it's not true because we, we made some, uh, some you know, unwise trade-offs over the last yeah. couple of decades. So when we cast that vote, there was actually a, a, a lead up to it. Uh, and I knew uh, it, you know, raising taxes is a big deal, right? And, and so, but I, I was persuaded on the merits that it was necessary if kind of unappealing. Uh, and to your point, uh, when it came time to vote, a revenue measure in the in the legislature by constitution uh, requires two thirds votes, right, in support. And so, in the legislature that in the in the assembly, sorry, that has eighty seats, the, the number to get to two thirds is fifty four. And so, fifty four Democrats voted in the assembly for that. And at the same time, uh, the the Senate uh, voted, but that number for two thirds in the Senate of forty is twenty seven. Uh, and we only had 26. We had 27 Democrats in the Senate at the time. Uh, but one of our members had made one of these kind of, I'll never raise taxes pledges. Right. No which tax I pledge. Never, which I had never done, right? The kind of Grover Norquist pledge. Um, and although I get accused of it all the time of going back on my word, which isn't true, I didn't want to raise taxes. But, you know, I was one of the 26 Democrats who voted in favor of the bill. Uh, and then to get to 27, the 27th vote, I would argue, uh, was a Republican state senator named Anthony Canella, uh, who's a terrific guy, but uh, Senator Canella was turned out. Uh, and so he had sort of a different calculus in making that vote. And, and his uh, his basis really was he'd, he'd come to an agreement with then Governor Brown that uh, the governor would spend over $400 million uh, in his district, you know, by way of improvements and priority spending. Uh, and so Senator Canella was willing to, to make that deal and cast yep. that vote. So imagine my surprise. Uh, when five days later, after we after we left uh, Sacramento for for the spring vac vacation, uh, and that was actually the first vacation I'd taken in well over a year, and my wife and our little kid uh, and I had arrived in the Caribbean of all places, uh, and we'd been I'd been kind of off the internet for about fifteen hours. So when I logged back on uh, in the hotel lobby in, in the place that we'd gone to stay at, um, got a whole bunch of emails, and, and I'll never forget one of them because uh, the 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 email. Subject line said, uh, uh, Republicans target Southern California Democrat for recall over tax vote. Uh, and I found myself thinking, like, 
naive guy that I am, like, wow, you know, somebody's in trouble. Uh, and so <laughs> I wonder I mean, who it is. Oh, who can it be? And I, and I really like I sort of ran through like, you know, who are the who are the members in this district who have conservative voters, you know, who might rise up? And I, you know, I thought of some obvious and I thought I'm going to be so supportive of them, you know, <laughs> and they're so good. I, right. And I clicked on the link. Right. And, and it was really slow Internet. And so you get kind of, you know, that weird experience of the page renders. And it turns yeah. out it was a story from the Sacramento Bee uh, and it was a photo from the Sacramento Bee. And it happened to be the photo of me from my swearing in that previous December. <laughs> so, so that's how I I learned about it. Um, and then, you know, as you'd expect, not something I expected. I mean, I always knew that would be uh, a, a hard vote. Right. And a vote that I would have sure. to kind of explain. But I, I figured you know, by now, you know, my, my reelection, you know, I'd have a body of work and I could say to my voters right. that I'm balanced, I've looked out for you. And, and the irony of the whole thing, Jody, which you probably know is on the same day that we passed SB1, we also passed a constitutional amendment, uh, which is necessary to put something on the ballot. And I was the author of, of SCA5, the Senate Constitution wow. Amendment 5, which became Prop 69 on the June 2018 ballot which uh, when passed ensures that all, you know, funds raised by SB1 cannot be diverted for any other purpose than transportation. Right. Uh, and in that whole recall experience, I got no credit for that. Uh, and to your point, I was singled out uh, and, and sort of described as, you know, not just the guy of 80, of 81, right? The, right. The me plus the 80. One of. Right. One of. But as the guy who, who like basically right, wrote the tax and passed the right. tax uh, and then it got worse as you went on, where I wasn't just the guy who raised your taxes. I was also the guy who wanted to ruin California by repealing Prop 13, which right. I don't want to do, uh, and opening the borders and you know, right. letting every felon out of jail, like you name it. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I don't think it's it's an exaggeration to say it was a bad experience being recalled. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my children uh, still suffer from PTSD because that's when they stopped going to the grocery store with me. Because um, I would offer many a bribe of like, I'll buy you popsicles or, you know, just come with me. And they would say, are you going to yell at the table people? And I'm like, yes, yes, I am. Because they're lying because they have big signs that say repeal the gas tax. But the signature is to recall an individual senator. And that piece of direct democracy is ideally, as editorial uh, pages agreed with me, reserved for bad behavior, not a vote you don't agree with. It's right. so, people right. who are really committing malpractice, that they are, you know, lacking in integrity, that they are abusing their office. And I would have repeated conversations um, before I would go in so that the ice cream wouldn't melt as <laughs> I made sure to educate the people who were, I mean, you know, being paid, um, but lying to people to get signatures. Um, and that was really, really pr a problematic for me because I have no problem with the tools of direct democracy being used when a legislator or a governor is really doing something wrong, but not to relitigate the election that we just had because it was close. And that's very much what it felt like. Yeah, um, you know, so you know, th those people uh, at the tables, right? so, you know, I, I had the same experiences. Uh, and I remember the first time I you know, to your point, they had all the appeal back sign uh, and, a, and a signature guest was talking to a kid. He couldn't have been more than like 15. And it was Mother's Day 2017 and because he had flowers he was getting for his mom. Uh, and, and the guy was telling him, like, sign here, it's your appeal. It's terrible guest tax. 
and and I looked at you know all this stuff, and I said, hey, that's actually to repeal meat, right? I mean, right. <laughs> and so you know, I, and I said to the kid, like, you know, you might want to ask some questions about what this right. really does before you sign. And and you know, he was the, he wasn't dumb. The kid was like, I gotta go. He, he walked up. Yeah. So then I had the some version of the same conversation that you do you did with you know with this guy and you know professional things together. And I said, listen, like you know, I'm that guy, right? So like, Wait. why, why, why do it? And why are you doing that? Doing it this way? And and so that guy said to me in a weird moment of honesty, he said, he said, dude, I got to make a living. Yeah. Right. And, and and what what a lot of people don't realize is there's this kind of fascinating micro economy of signature gathering that happens yeah. all over the country. But there's there's within the southwestern United States, there's a bunch of itinerant workers that at any given time yeah. are working on a campaign. Uh, and there's a market that says, you know, like for their labor, uh, that, you know, it's X per signature. And so in my right. case, I found out they were they were being paid, uh, some of you were at $5.50 in the beginning per signature, yeah. uh, not by not per hour, but per signature, right? Per so there's signature. a clear, clear incentive. If you're making $5.50 per signature, you're going to say whatever it takes to get them faster, yep. get more faster. Uh, and then by the end, when it got harder to find more people who weren't, you know, aware like you as to what right. was going on. Uh, the number went up to as high as thirteen dollars per signature, yeah. um, and so you know clearly that's that's exactly not what the the reformers of the early early twentieth century had in mind when right. they created the referendum, the recall, and the initiative. No, no, it no, it was not. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so then the election, and of course it's a special election, so it's lower turnout. It's tough to get people to vote when it's this. We move it to the the primary, so it's on the regular ballot, um, but you still lose, mm -hmm. and so you're recalled. Right. And now we have Senator Ling Ling Chang, who took over, who lost in 2016, who's serving as the beneficiary of the recall, and now we've got a rematch. So now we're back to 2020. Um, current campaign, how's it going to campaign during a pandemic? Um, you know, <laughs> one of, uh, one of the reasons I have a lot of yeah. students who, uh, have worked for you in the past on the, uh, on the recall in, in 2016 was because you have some really fun marketing ideas about campaigning. Um, if people remember the blimp that was in the air and the bear yeah. costume that unfortunately you got tagged as the man walking around in a bear costume right. because you had the signs. <laughs> um, and 2020 you've got, um, you got an ice cream truck. Yeah, that was yeah. going around, and now we have I, a I, pandemic. I, I have the the better senator ice cream truck, right? So yes, got a big sign on the front that says "You deserve a better senator ice cream sandwich." Uh, it's got my picture on it. So prior to the pandemic, you know, politics, you know, as you know, is is uh, it's either uh, boring for some people or kind of you know off putting for others. So you know, my mo has always been trying to figure out a way that gets people's attention, but in the service of, you know, the message, which, like I said before, it's pretty simple. It's something, you know, we're a giant state with lots of problems. You, you yeah. deserve and need the best possible public uh, service, the best possible elected representative. So uh, so we came up with this idea of the, the better center ice cream truck uh, in the beginning of the campaign. And it was, you know, up through the primary, had a, you know, it was going gangbusters. And I had yeah. a couple, I'm sure I had some of your graduates. Came to Fullerton College. Yeah, and, and we had given away, um, we kept count of how many ice cream sandwiches we distributed, uh, over 50,000 ice cream sandwiches uh, all over the district yeah. uh, in, 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 in you know, the service of starting those conversations about, like, you know, what do you want out of state government? 
what do you know about the recall, et cetera? Uh, so that was going well. And then the pandemic hit. Uh, and it, it certainly you know, changed all of our lives. And as you can imagine, changed campaigning. Uh, and so we've had to figure out other creative ways, digital ways, phoning, texting, Facebook, et cetera, uh, to try and engage voters to, to you know, have those conversations and, and make the case that, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a, uh, a good and kind of decent guy and, and the better choice to be their state senator uh, in this election. Yeah. And so now party registration has moved your way. Um, and and I, in Los Angeles, I, I was looking at the numbers and the people who are no political party uh, are actually higher than Republicans in that part yeah. of Los Angeles. Um, both San Bernardino, uh, Los Angeles, and uh, La- uh, and Orange County all have uh, higher numbers of Democrats, mm-hmm. um, and and that that is good for you. Um, so, yeah. how do you feel about the election? How do you? It's going on right now. Um, it's 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 going on right now. So so the thing. Uh, about campaigns that that I've learned is, is is you know campaigns have two phases and it for as an experience right sort of as, as the experience of the candidate and it's not the primary and it's in the general right you assume that's the split it's actually everything up to that moment where ballots are, are mm-hmm. mailed to absentee voters that, that has one uh, quality uh, and then the moment that people have ballots in their hands that's when it gets really brutal yeah um, and so uh, to your to your question about registration you know clearly. Uh, it's it's to the good for me and every other Democrat running. Uh, my district, which, as I mentioned earlier, was kind of a toss-up by way of registration in 2016, uh, now has there's a Democratic registration differential or an advantage of over seven points, yeah. uh, which is which is really stunning, and and it has obviously like very little to do with me personally, uh, but it has to do with the kind of the larger dynamic and and the perception of the parties. Uh, and their impact on people's lives and the conduct of politics. So mm-hmm. um, we've gained share uh, in, you know, Democrats, you know, people, new, new voters registering. But the more sort of striking fact is, is voters re-registering uh, are, are uh, quite often Republicans re-registering either as no party preference or as, as Democrats. And so yeah. a lot of that has to do with presidential politics, but it, but it also has to do, you know, with, you know, the approaches of each party to government at every level, but especially at the state level. And I would argue kind of, uh, and it, it might sound kind of ironic to people that there is, there's a real value in having some level of balance between the parties, uh, it, you both in sort of in general, but, but especially within the legislature, right? So, cause you know, cause you'd like to have uh, competing points of view that are legitimate that lead toward, you know, sort of synthesis or compromise so that, that you get to the best possible sure. solution. If you have a massive supermajority of one part or the other, it's it's often too easy uh, right. to get to a majority, and, and as a result, you, you know the process kind of lacks rigor, and you can overreach, or you can you cannot uh, take into account other consequences of bills, and we see that all the time. Uh, but the Republican Party in California has sort of uh, adopted a, a a posture of being the party of no, right? And so you know, not only are they the party of no taxes. Uh, but they're sort of the party of not lots of other things. And so when you think about what they stand for, uh, it's hard to think of anything really positive. Uh, and so when you get to campaigning, no surprise that uh, much of what uh, happens in campaign, especially in this last phase, is fundamentally negative. Uh, yeah. And and as just as a, as a person, as somebody who hadn't uh, been involved in politics. I, you know, I was never a staffer to a legislator or something like that. I never worked on other people's campaigns prior to running. Uh, 
Um, and so it, it is mind blowing to find out uh, that that on you know you're on the receiving end of, for instance, right now, a one point two million dollar attack ad campaign uh, against me by three oil companies. Yeah. Where'd that come from? Right. Uh, and and so the, you know, there, I, I'll admit there's always a moment where I'm like, wow, like why me? Like what was me? Right. But you right. realize like, wow, politics is brutal. Uh, yeah. and, and, and and I think yeah. that that's always, and that's one of the reasons that I wanted to do the podcast to kind of expand uh, these conversations with people to a broader audience than just my students, because, you know, what you were saying before about feeling really the sense of purpose and doing good things and helping people, really the public service of politics gets lost in all of these negative mailers. And the idea that any other advertising campaign would exist on this level of McDonald's telling you yeah. that uh-huh. Carl's Jr. is going to kill you right. and totally. Carl's Jr. saying you'll get food poisoning if you eat McDonald's, the result right. would clearly uh-huh. be this mutually assured destruction that no one would want to eat at either restaurant. And that's what we end up with negative mailers that people who aren't paying attention just say, well, they're all terrible and awful because they told me they're all terrible and awful. They came to my house and they sent it. They came to my social media page. They're attacking one another. They're both terrible. And the reality is in most cases, the people themselves are good and decent people who fundamentally have different approaches to government. Now that's not always true, but hopefully that is the case. And yet my poor postman is delivering so much mail every day, flyer after flyer after flyer that you just think, well, of course people hate this because they're not getting the positive stuff. They're not getting the really good stuff that legislators are doing to help people and they're not getting the sense of pride. So it does become the game where you have to send out negative mailers because otherwise it's just one-sided. But first I want to ask the question of how do you, because I'm hoping my students and, you know, other folks who are listening are, are going to be engaged in politics, but getting that first negative mailer about yourself has got to be really tough and not just for you, but, your family and your friends. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so, so, you know, you, I think you've described it well, like, well, you know, wouldn't it be nice if, if Bird right, said like, don't, don't go to Wendy's cause, cause they'll kill you. Right? Like, yeah. um, but you know, so my wife does this thing, which, which I, I, I always find funny, but even though I know exactly what it is. And so, you know, you'll get the mailer uh, that tells everybody sort of what a terrible guy I am. And she'll do this awesome thing. She'll be like, wow, you know, like kind of the old VA. Like, oh, I just remembered something. Right. And I, I always know exactly what she's going to say. And I was like, oh, what? And she's like, I, I just remembered why good people don't want to be involved in politics anymore. Right. And, and she's absolutely right. So there's another dimension to kind of what you're talking about, which is, and I think it's real, is good people, like normal people for that matter, uh, when you consider sort of what's involved uh, and just how unpleasant it might be might not necessarily be all that inclined uh, to to stand for public office, to go through this process. And so uh, I, I will say, you know, it may be a good thing that I've been through everything I have, uh, because I know when I, I told my wife, you know, about a year and change ago that I was thinking that it was 
worthwhile to try again, right? You know, uh -huh. I have this theory, it's kind of the Abe Lincoln approach to politics, which, you know, you, you can fool all the people enough of the time for a recall like mine, but but sure. hopefully not all of the people all the time, right? So we're, right. we're gonna test that this time. But when I said to my wife, you know, like, hey, I'm thinking about running again, and she kind of, she kind of rolled her eyes. And I said to her, like, you know, like, you know, I knew what she was thinking. I was like, listen, it can't get any worse, right, than what, what we've already been through. And she looked at me, she said, oh, yes, it can, Josh. Like, oh, yes, it, always, it can. It always seems to, right? It always right. seems to, especially with you. Um, and then we had a longer conversation, and, and she said, uh, you know, hey, you know, it's, like, admirable that, you know, because my, my whole point was if the good people drop out, we leave it to, irrespective of a party, we leave it right. to people. Right. You know, if you're the kind of person, for instance, that doesn't find that strange, that doesn't find that, you know, right. really off-putting, then you, we probably don't want you, right? Like, you know, in, right? Because right. that's, that's not a normal person. Right. Uh, and so she said something that they like, you know, isn't there something else you could do that has a, <laughs> that has a positive benefit to, you know, to people? Uh, and I, you know, her point is well taken, but government matters, right? And government so matters. whether we like politics or not, we're still going to have a legislature, right. 40 state senators and 80 uh, assembly people in California, right. in this massive state with all these challenges. Right. So it's really important that those 40 people or those 80 people be the best people that we can right. find. And what, what is often lost uh, in this conversation about how awful politics has become uh, is that politics is how we as citizens hire the people who work for us right. in the public sphere. Uh, so politics is the gateway to public service, and it's sort of a crazy way to hire or get hired for a job, but we haven't figured out a better way to do it. Right, right. Well, I'll, I'll have you work on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I'm doing a little experiment to see how that works, yeah. <laughs> so do they work? Does negative mailers work? Yeah, they work. I mean, you know, so... Eh. I mean, it, it works to the extent that that it. I mean, there's got to be a reason everybody uses them. Yeah, I mean, so so they 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 play off of you know an observation you made here, uh, which is people are so disenchanted with politics as a whole uh, that they you know make little distinction, right? You know, on the politician, right? So so we're at a point now where we vote red team, blue team. You know, yeah. and if I'm on the blue team. I vote for somebody, even though I may know for a fact that that person is not a particularly good person or a good representative. But the assumption is, well, if you know everything's equal, I want right. my team to win, which is actually a terrible way to you know to right. hire. About it. So you know, so negative advertising is is proven to have an impact, but it's also of kind of concept. Uh, right. Certainly, more understandable, kind of from concept, kind of. Uh, development execution than the broader effort to say like, Hey, here's a good guy. Right. Uh, right. Cause you know, the, the presumption it pretty valid is that a, uh, the average person doesn't know a lot about politics right. or, or civic processes and B, you know, there's a predisposition to think well, politicians are awful. So if I can make my opponent seem more awful, more uh, awful. yeah, you know, people will, will choose me. And so I, I've, I've done my best, uh, to try and not fall into that. But, but I will admit that, you know, once you get into the heat of a big campaign, there's kind of no getting around it. And, and I will say right. uh, with respect to my campaign, um, you know, I'd like to think you can make a distinction between negative advertising, which is untrue uh, right. versus negative advertising, which is simply pointing out the truth right. uh, about your opponent. And so I would argue strangely that most of what we've done 
although it's negative, uh, is pointing out the the truth about my opponent. Uh, we don't have to get into it here, but but to the average voter, it may all kind of merge together as just you know toxic. Yeah, yeah, and and I also think that very few people are studying the mailers. You know, it's it's very quickly from the mailbox to the trash can, and so you don't necessarily see. Oh, that's not from the campaign. That's right. an independent expenditure. That's the oil company spending money. That's the teachers' union spending money. That's right. the California Medical Association spending money. But it all gets um, melded together. Of yeah. everything's negative. Yeah, and, and it's just a barrage, right? And so yeah. you know, so there's there's this um, um, sort of philosophy among political consultants. That, you know, and you say, well, why do we do these things, right? Because, like, I personally, like, I'm in this business. I don't read political mailers because I know they're all baloney. Right. And so, like, I, I don't really even look at the pictures. I just don't read political mailers. And so I don't – there's always a question, like, who does? And, and there was this old uh, sort of saying of TV advertising, like, back in the 50s. Yeah. Um, where some – from Wanamaker was a big department store brand. And the guy who ran the, the, the company said, like, hey, you know, we know for a fact – that half of our advertising doesn't work. We just don't know which half, right? right. And, right. and I, I think politics suffers from that same yeah. uh, phenomenon, which is like, you know, we don't know if it works. We just know that if you have a lot of money, there's plenty of people who, who will help you spend it uh, right. and do it in ways that they, they've always done and that they think yeah. work. Yeah. yeah. I, I, in, in Sacramento, I had a, a guest speaker who was a political consultant who worked on a gubernatorial campaign. And, and he said, you know, oh, all those media buys, all those TV ads uh, paid for my kid's college. And you're thinking, uh-huh. yeah, it wasn't necessarily the best yeah. thing for the candidate. Yeah, but- and I'll, I'll tell you, so, you know, I had, I had the interesting experience. So I'm always, you know, I, I come from kind of a marketing background. Yeah. Like, I worked in internet stuff for a long time before I got into this. And so, you know, I always, that's why I've done these kind of unconventional marketing yeah. Things, right. And, and I, I'd argue that they're really cost effective. Right. So, I, you know, I bought an ice cream truck and had all my political consultants like you spent how much on an ice cream truck? And right. like, it's less than we're going to waste on your mail. Right. 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 But they don't make a commission on that. And so um, in 2016, I had this idea, like, you know, uh, I, I came out of a grocery store and there was a flyer on my windshield and it was for a, a, a store in Anaheim that sold uh, the, the supplies that people use to wash people's cars, right? Yeah. And it wasn't even to wash your cars, to buy stuff if you washed other people's cars. So I went to this guy's store, you know, looking like, you know, average white sure. guy, that, looking like, like I was an IRS agent or something. And I said, can I talk to the owner? And I, cause I want to ask you if this, I want to ask him if this works. Right. Yeah. I had to convince him that I wasn't going to like, you know, like right. you know, I wasn't investigating. <laughs> and he said, he said, yeah, it works. I spent like $600 and, you know, we, we put out 6,000 flyers and I always make my money back. So then I went to a bunch of political consultants. I said, like, how come nobody does that? Right? Yeah. Like, and they'd always say, well, you know, because mail's more effective, tea's more effective. And then I had a, a conversation with a guy who had no interest in getting my business, right? So, I, sure. so he, he had no vested interest in giving me anything other other than an honest answer. And he said, I can tell you why that would, that doesn't happen is because I couldn't make any money on it. Right. It's cheap, right. Like why would I tell my clients to do something that's so right. cheap that I wouldn't make any money on it? And right. I said, well, no, there you go. That, that explains everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, thank you. And we'll see how our election month and ca- hopefully we won't have to wait until the Thanksgiving for, uh, for the ballots to be counted. Yeah. I see Not lots and lots of people. Not just uh, market, for all of them. Like, let, let's hope that it's decisive. I know. It's really quickly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I, I keep hitting refresh on, on the button on election night on uh, the, the election returns. And uh, it's like weeks later. So hopefully yeah. everybody's voting early. 
Um, so before you go, I got a few end of the show questions that I like to ask. Um, what's the best advice you've ever gotten? So the best advice I ever gotten is, 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 um, you may be surprised here is, is a guy uh, spoke at, uh, at the, the dinner before my high school graduation. His name was the, the Reverend William Sloan Coffin Jr. You might've heard of him. He was, he was the, um, the, the, the uh, head of the divinity school at Yale during the Vietnam war. And it's very controversial. And so he somehow knew the principal of my school and we was asked to speak and he gave a speech and his, the, the content of his, remarks, and I, I probably can't remember a single other thing I, from high school, um, was, but I remember this very vividly, was, you know, who do you let tell you who you are or what you're worth? Um, and, and he kind of used as an example all the students for whom he'd written um, uh, re recommendations, and he'd say, like, you know, John's a solid student. If you need somebody in the bottom third of your class, you've got to have it. Right. And, and, and then the student would come to him and say, like, why'd you say that? And he's like, you asked me, and I said, you're a good guy but don't let me tell you what you're worth. Right. Right. Um, and I've, I've always thought that was wonderful advice. And, and, and I went one, one day, a couple of years ago, I thought like, I want to find uh, that speech. It turns out he gave that speech everywhere. Right. Like that guy was <laughs> yeah. gave that speech everywhere. So lots of other people had the same, heard the same speech, uh, but it, it has always resonated with me. Uh, yeah. you know, and I think everybody, we live in an age, uh, especially given the impact of social media and conventional right where there are so many inputs telling you who you are uh, and what you're worth. Are you attractive? Are you, are you heavy? Are you successful? Mm -hmm. Are you rich? Uh, and it's really important for people to remember, like, don't let anybody tell you uh, who you are, what you're worth. And I think that's just as important in politics uh, where ironically, I think where we, we hold political figures kind of in low regard, we still give too much credit to people who are elected. Right. Uh, defer them to, to a far, uh, greater extent than I think we should, because they're actually your employee. They're your public servant. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it seems like a good lesson all the way around. I like it. I like it. So what's one book you like to recommend to people? What so if it's, reading? if it's a, uh, you know, if it's a political book. So, I, you know, I, I, you sent me the, the, you know, that question in advance, Jody. I and did. I, I, I like to think, give people warning. No, no, which is fair. But the funny yes. thing is, when I was in the army, right, I was, I just graduated from Yale University and I went to the army. I was, young officer. And I was always impressed by how smart the kids in my unit, the enlisted guys were, um, but who hadn't had, you know, kind of the advantage that I had or the opportunities I had for, or just frankly, didn't take well to kind of education in high school. So they wound up being recruited to serve in the military, but they were, they were so smart. They didn't even know how smart they were. So I went through this phase where like Phil Jackson used to do, I used to, I'd get books and I'd say like, you know, you're interested in this thing, read this book. It's a, yeah. and not a single guy ever read a single book I gave them. Sure. <laughs> they were like, <laughs> Thanks a lot, Lieutenant Newman. That's great, right? And they, you know, and a month later, you read the book, and I lost it. So, um, you know, if 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 somebody's interested in politics and kind of American culture, society right now, a book that I think is worth reading. It's called The Unwinding. It's by an, an author named George Packer, yeah. uh, and it's it's a couple years old, but it's it's a really fascinating, uh, very thorough look at how American society has changed, how the middle class has been hollowed out right. uh, over the last twenty years. And how our politics has not only not helped that, but it has abetted that happening. Uh, so uh, I haven't gotten a lot of people to read the book, uh, but I, I thought it was wonderful. But there you go. Maybe yeah. you will. Maybe now people come up and say, I read that book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, is there a hopeful message you can share with our, with our listeners? Yeah. So, so it, it's, you know, as you might expect, having been this target of a recall, we've talked about it, really unpleasant. Uh, but but I think the truth is, if you reflect, right, even during this pandemic, which which yeah. will end 
uh, and we'll get through it. And six years from now, we'll all remember like, that was crazy. We all had to wear masks when we went yeah. to Chipotle, right? Um, we are living actually in an amazing time. Uh, it's not without challenges, uh, but technology and science uh, have given billions of people, uh, you know, advantages, opportunities, acquired life that, that we never had before. So we should, we should be grateful for that. Uh, and the one area where we really need to focus is in governance, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and our, you know, our social relationships. If we could solve those problems, uh, we're really fortunate to be living in this moment. Uh, and we shouldn't forget that. Yeah, yeah. I love that. So who should we talk to next? So uh, you may have already talked to this person. I don't know who you've had on your, on your show. Uh, but locally... Uh, one of the people that I most admire that I, that I, that I find um, really to exemplify the qualities of public service, the suspense is killing you, I know, uh, is, is Dr. Jose Moreno, uh, who's a member of the- Just uh, talk to him, yeah. Oh, geez, see, I didn't Sorry. know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to No, be but I agree with you. I agree with you. So I'll give okay. you another one, and you may or may not get A fascinating conversation you could have, and I'd be happy to try and help, uh, is our former governor, Jerry Brown. Uh, oh, Nice among the more kind of interesting, thoughtful, kind of scholarly people you'd ever meet. And I think a couple of years since being uh, uh, governor, uh, he'd have some interesting insights for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, one of my uh, friends was uh, a reporter and left the state because uh, her beat was to cover Jerry Brown and she could never get him to give a good quote. And she oh, was in the elevator one time and it, you know, the budget and it was this budget crisis. And she said, you know, oh, governor, can I get a quote about the budget? And he looks over to her with this very long pause and says, elevators are not for quotes. <laughs> elevators are for contemplation. And then they get off the elevator and she said, can I follow you to your office? I need a quote. <laughs> and he starts recommending books of philosophy to her and wants to have this whole conversation about Aristotle. And she goes, I have a deadline. I can't uh, talk about Aristotle. Yeah. And so now she's in uh, Rhode Island covering. I was once on a Southwest flight and the governor was on the same flight. Right? We would back up yeah. a second. And, and he, he was, you know, you always get your, your, your Southwest numbers. So, you know, I yeah. flew it turned out he had like C22, right? Like, so, and everybody's like, Oh, governor, go He's like, no, I've got CO right here. Yeah. He was sitting, waiting to go. And, you know, just kind of quietly, like you said, like, didn't want to talk to anybody. But he was reading something, so I got really interested. Like, what's he right? Reading? And he was reading a book on on nineteenth century German philosophers, right? Which is which is yes. I mean, I'd like to think I'm a curious. I guy. think that's the book he wanted to talk to her about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, but I but I do think I think you know as no longer. But yes, it would be a fascinating. I would yes. love to talk to him. I, I'd be I, happy. To try I don't know that he would answer any of my questions, but he would be a fascinating interview, and he could talk about philosophy we could get yeah. some crossover well he, he might surprise you by answering all your questions right that yeah. would be really fun yeah no i'd love that so well thank you very much i really appreciate it good luck on the campaign trail or zoom or wherever we campaign these days um and i appreciate it thanks no, my pleasure so thank you, thank you.